Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. So today I'd like to conclude the message that I began two weeks ago, which is actually a summary of what we, we studied, we saw in the book of Acts about the New Testament church with a particular focus on how a description of that church, the New Testament church, might apply to our church because we desire to be a, a first century church in the 21st century, amen? And so we, we've been talking about how a description of that church ought to apply to this church as well. So I've suggested three descriptions of the New Testament church that we want to apply to ourselves and how, uh, and I've emphasized how unity is an important factor in each one of those descriptions. So we've talked about they were together in worship, that worship was um, a main point of why they gathered together was to worship the Lord because we've been created to give glory to God. And so the New Testament church, they were together in worship. Number two, they were united by the word. And so the word was, uh, they ordered their life by the word. They recognized the word as the inspired, the infallible word of God. And so they organized their life by the word. They organized their church. They uh, preached the word. And so the word was a very important factor uh, in their mission. And then number three, they were empowered to witness. They were empowered to witness. Now, I've already expounded on the first two. Today, what we're going to do is I'm going I'm to touch on the final one, empowered to witness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. We pray, God, for your anointing. We need your help, Lord, because we recognize that without you, we can do nothing. It's only as we abide in Jesus Christ that we can bear any fruit at all. And so, Lord, we pray that your life would be in us and that, God, your life would flow through us and that, God, you would flow through us in such measure that we would be able to touch our community and make a difference for the kingdom of God in this world around us. So, God, I ask that you would anoint me and help me, God, to preach effectively this morning that, Lord, I would say what you want me to say, and that, God, we would hear what you want us to hear. Come, Lord, and accomplish your will here in our midst this morning, and we'll give you thanks and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, after Jesus departed from the disciples, uh, you remember that they returned to Jerusalem and the Bible says, I've already read the reference, we're not going to read it this morning again, that, that they returned to Jerusalem and that they came together in the upper room and it was there in the upper room that they were in one accord and they devoted themselves to prayer. And uh, they were praying, what were they praying for? They were praying for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They were praying for the baptism in the Holy Ghost, which Jesus said, had told his disciples that that would be necessary for them so that they could do the work that he had commissioned them uh, to do. He had already commissioned them to do something. And what is that? Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus told, had already told his disciples, Go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, how many knows that was, that is, because it is the work that we are engaged in as well, that is an enormous endeavor that Jesus Christ has left for us to do, to go into all the nations, to all the worlds, and make disciples. So it's an enormous endeavor, and it, it could not be accomplished by just one man. It could not, in fact, it could not be accomplished even by a handful of disciples. It would require, it will require, an entire network of believers that are dispersed throughout the nations, around the globe, evangelizing their own communities and their regions with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see that that's what Jesus had in mind when he gave his disciples this great commission? That it wasn't just for those 12, but it was for all of us who would come after them, that we would join in that endeavor and that we would fulfill the commission that Jesus Christ has given to us as the church of Jesus Christ. Even then, Jesus understood, even with a network of believers, even with a multiplicity of Christians, even then, it is a task that would require supernatural assistance. They would need help to be able to pull this off. That's why Jesus said that it was necessary for him to go away. Why was it necessary for Jesus to leave his disciples? So that we might be able to do more than he could have done if he had remained. Now, that may sound controversial to you this morning, uh, but you heard me say that right. That is, that Jesus said that we could do more than he could do. Y'all are looking at me. I didn't get any amens. <laughs> so let me read you this passage where he said that. John uh, chapter 14, verse number 12. Next passage uh, there, Jared. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, did Jesus say that or not? In my Bible, not there, but in my Bible is written in red. How many of your Bibles is written in red? It's because Jesus said that. Jesus said, the works that I do, you'll do also. In fact, Jesus said, in fact, greater works than I do, you will do, because I am going to the Father. Now listen, the greater works that Jesus had in mind was, uh, how many knows there's not really any greater works than resurrection, uh, raising the dead, or uh, causing the blind to see, or the lame to walk. Jesus said, you'll do those things also. You, you will be able to do those things also. But the greater works that Jesus had in mind was the multiplication of his message, the good news of the gospel that would take place after his disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the greater works that Jesus had in mind was the multiplication of his ministry 
through all of us that would follow him and be filled with the Holy Spirit and enabled to take the good news of Jesus Christ around the world to go into the nations and make disciples of all kinds of people. How many see that? That's the greater works that Jesus had in mind. And in fact, he explained this to his disciples just before he left in Acts, and this is Acts chapter 1. We read this verse several times during the series of Acts, but let's look at it again. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told his disciples, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, that's the greater work that Jesus had in mind for us, his disciples, that we would go, we would be empowered by the Spirit to be his witnesses so that we, then we could go into all the nations and make disciples of all types of people. So what I want to make very clear this morning is that I want to make this clear to every one of us, and that is that each one of us shares in this responsibility. This, this is a responsibility that each and every one of us, we have a share in this responsibility to go into all the nations and to make disciples. Each one of us have a responsibility to be a witness for Jesus Christ. So each one of us shares in this responsibility. That, that was the expectation that Jesus had, that we would all be his witnesses, which is why on the day of Pentecost, uh, how many remember us talking about the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Uh, so that's why, next reference, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which is why on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at it. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That's what we we're talking about. They came together, one accord, one place. Verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. How many knows uh, that was quite the church service, amen. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They all began to speak in tongues when they all received the promise of the Holy Spirit. And why uh, did they receive the Holy Spirit? It was so that they could be witnesses for Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts, to the ends of the earth. That was the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they all received the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost because they all had a share in the commission that Jesus Christ had given to them. And therefore, in the New Testament church, listen, evangelism is a shared responsibility. Evangelism is a shared responsibility, which means that if we want to be a church like that, and I do, don't you? 
If we want to be a church like that, like the book of Acts, if we want to be a church like that, then, then I must say, you must say, each one of us must say, it is my job to be a witness. I have a share in this responsibility. The Great Commission belongs to me, and it requires something of me. So if we want to be a New Testament church, that each one of us has to say, it is, it is my job to be a witness. And listen, the reality is that many Christians struggle with that uh, responsibility. That scares um, a lot of Christians to think, I have to tell somebody. I, it's my responsibility to evangelize, to be a witness, uh, to tell somebody else about Jesus Christ. That, that can be very intimidating uh, to Christians. And many Christians struggle with that responsibility. And let's face it, um, we don't always do such a good job when it comes to evangelism. Um, in our frustration, in fact, sometimes we make excuses for doing a poor job at it. And we say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not an evangelist. Or we say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Or, and here's what we're most likely to say, it's, well, that's, that's the church's responsibility. That's the pastor's responsibility. That's the church's responsibility. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that, hey, guess what? It is the church's responsibility. But you are the church. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, you are the church. Uh, and, and that's not you passing the buck to them and saying, hey, it's your responsibility because you're the church. Because <laughs> hopefully they look back at you and say, and you are too. You're the church <laughs> as well. Uh, the point is, is this is not the church, these walls. And this is the church building. This is the building we gather in. It's the building that we worship in, and aren't you glad for the building that we have, and aren't you glad for the freedom that we have to gather together and to worship the Lord together? Aren't you thankful for that? Say amen if you are. But this is not the church. You are the church. I am the church. And so I'm the church on, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just on Sunday, each one of us. And so it is the church's responsibility because you are the church, and we, all of us, each one of us, we are the church. And to make the point clear again, Jesus said that evangelism is a responsibility that we all share together. It's a responsibility he's given to all of us, to each one of us. You may not be an evangelist. Uh, there, there are those, there are some that God calls to specifically to be evangelists. And he raises them up in the body of Christ. And their role, their office in the body of Christ is to be an evangelist. And so we know men like Billy Graham had a, an anointing on his life to be an, an evangelist for the body of Christ. Amen. So there are those that God calls specifically to be evangelists. You may, not, you may not have the gift of evangelism because some Christians do have uh, natural, natural abilities and a supernatural anointing to lead people to Jesus Christ. 
Um, have you ever met somebody that doesn't have any trouble meeting strangers whatsoever? I mean, they can walk up to anybody on the street and just pick up a conversation and start talking to them. Uh, you may not have that gift. Some people have that gift. You may not have that gift that you can just walk up to strangers and begin to have a conversation with them and carry that conversation on with them. Uh, some people do. They have that natural ability to be able to talk to people and relate uh, to people. And then God gives them a supernatural anointing on that natural ability to be able to engage people in spiritual conversations and lead them to that point where they recognize their need of Jesus Christ and help them to cross the line of faith and put their trust in Jesus Christ. Some people do have that gift, that natural ability and a supernatural anointing to use it to lead people to Jesus Christ. You may not be an evangelist. You, you may not have that supernatural anointing in your life. However, the Bible is clear. We are all witnesses. And, and we are expected to share in the work of the great commission that we have received from Jesus Christ. And one of the things that stands out in the book of Acts is that God used everybody. That God used anybody that made themselves available to him. God, God used many people to accomplish his purposes. Of course, the apostles were the ones that God had called to be leaders in the church. God had chosen them to oversee the church, to oversee the work, to guide the church and bring leadership to the church. But, but the Bible, but the book of Acts is very clear that those apostles, they laid hands on others and then entrusted the work to others. Acts chapter 6 is the first example of that. Remember where there were widows that were not being cared for and the apostles said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We can't do all of this by ourselves because God has called us to give ourselves to prayer and to the word, the ministry of the word. And so they said, you guys, y'all point out some deacons and y'all come forward. We'll lay hands on them and then they can do the work. And so um, God involved Many people, many hands in the ministry. Paul is another example. Although uh, you recall from our series in the book of Acts, Paul, the, uh, most of the second half of the book of Acts is a story about Paul. But, but how many times do we see that Paul everywhere is pulling people along with him and finding people and sending them out and setting them up and using them in the ministry because Paul recognized what? Hey, this is not about me. I can't do it by myself. Um, God uses everybody. God desires to use all of us because we all have a responsibility to be a witness. So the Holy Spirit is not reserved for a few professional preachers, how many knows the Holy Spirit has been given to everyone for the work of evangelism? And so in the New Testament church, they were all empowered to witness and to tell others about Jesus Christ. So let me suggest this morning what each one of us, you may not be an evangelist, you may not have the gift of evangelism, but you have a responsibility to be a witness. And so let me suggest what each one of us can do to help fulfill the Great Commission, to do our part in helping to fulfill the Great Commission. And I, I'm going to use four words that may help us to remember. Okay, first word is go. 
Go. It's, it's a word that's lifted directly from the first phrase of the Great Commission. Go into all the nations and make disciples. Sometimes we assume that this word applies only to those missionaries that we appoint and that we support and that we then send to a foreign nation or to a separate group of people. But how many knows this word, it applies to all of us. Because Jesus' intention was this, as you go, as you go about doing whatever it is God has called you to do, whatever your vocation is, wherever, you're, wherever life takes you, as you go, be making disciples for the kingdom of God. So this word applies to all of us. In the Gospels, you may remember that Jesus not only called his disciples to him, but how many knows that he also sent them out from him? In fact, in the Bible it says he gave them authority, he gave them instructions, and then he told them to go out and he sent them away to proclaim the kingdom of God. Let's look at one of those passages. It's in uh, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse number 7. And he called the twelve, and then he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, uh, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And verse 12 says, and so they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So Jesus not only calls us as disciples to come and to be with him, but his intent is also to send us out so that we might go and so that we might share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, which might explain our reluctance sometimes to be a witness for Jesus Christ, right? I mean, none of us want to be a sheep among wolves. And how many knows in our culture uh, today, our culture is increasingly hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it can sometimes feel like that, right? Like I, you're a sheep among wolves. But Jesus has promised that he will always be with us. Amen. That wherever we go, we are promised his presence. We have his anointing uh, on our life. In fact, the New Testament church dealt with opposition as well. In fact, the New Testament church dealt with opposition uh, the like that we have never had as Americans. I mean, listen, we get upset when somebody makes fun of Christians in America. And listen, I'm, uh, I'm equally distressed that our culture has become so anti-Christian, so hostile to Christianity. But hey, let's admit, let's recognize that we still live in a free society. Thank God. We still have the freedom to be able to proclaim the gospel. And none of us, there may come a day when we'll suffer for preaching the gospel. But to this point anyway, none of us have had to suffer like the New Testament church suffered for preaching the gospel. They were persecuted. Many, many of them are 
thrown in jail and beaten, flogged. Some of them were killed. They gave their life as a witness for Jesus Christ. We've never dealt with that kind of opposition. So the New Testament church dealt with opposition. How did they deal with opposition? Well, they prayed for boldness. And they said, we're not going to shut up. We're not going to quit. We're going to keep preaching. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep telling people about Jesus Christ. And they prayed, God grant us boldness to be able to speak up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, you may remember that in the book of Acts, persecution served uh, actually to spread the good news even further. Let's look. Next passage is in Acts chapter 8 that I want to read this morning. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Do you remember this episode in the book of Acts? It says, And there arose on that day, this is after they stoned Stephen, after they had killed him. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. But look at verse number 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's what it means to go, <laughs> to be sent. That whatever, uh, uh, whatever the cause, whatever the reason, wherever you're going, you're carrying the good news of Jesus Christ with you. Friends, we need to develop an awareness that every day Jesus is telling us to go. That every day Jesus is sending us out into a world that, yes, sometimes hostile to Christianity, but every day Jesus is saying, go make disciples. That every day Jesus is sending us out into a world that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to pray, God give me an awareness that every morning that I wake up, one of the first things on my mind is that today, Lord Jesus, you are sending me out. <laughs> that when I walk out my front door, or if you walk out your garage, or if you go out of your back door, wherever. <laughs> when you leave your house, you're saying, Lord, you are sending me out. Give me a mentality that as I go, that I share in this responsibility to make disciples, that I'm a witness for Jesus Christ. We, we should have that awareness when we walk out the doors of the church, amen, that when we come to church, we gather together to worship and to pray, right? To hear the words, and the word is proclaimed, but that when we leave the church, how many knows church ain't over when we leave the church, right? Because now the church is walking out, and we're saying, now, Lord, you are sending me out to be a witness for you, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, and to encounter a world that, yes, is sometimes hostile, but God's, I'm a carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to pray, God, give us that kind of awareness uh, in our lives. Where you are is your mission field. Where you work is your mission field. God has put you there to be salt and light. As you move in the community and as you uh, uh, go, wherever you go, 
That is your mission field, and there are opportunities for you to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And let me say this morning, if your network and your relationships is comprised of only Christians, the only places you go are Christian places, the only people you meet are, are Christian people, then I believe that God is, expects us to push beyond those boundaries of our comfort zone so that we can go where we can meet non-Christians and non-believers so that we can tell them about Jesus Christ. So expand your network. Go where you will find unbelievers. Go where you will encounter people that need to hear about Jesus Christ. For many years, evangelism in America has meant marketing your church to the community, inviting them to come to your church. Still, still probably the predominant model of evangelism in America today. And we could question how effective it has been over the years, but how many knows uh, it's no longer an effective model? Because how many knows there are places that people want to go more than go to church, than come to church? It's no longer effective to say you come to church. Besides the fact that what we're seeing, what we've learned in the book of Acts is it's not even it's not even a biblical model of evangelism, is it? I didn't get any amens there either. <laughs> Maybe we can pipe some in on the tape. <laughs> it's not even a biblical model of evangelism because the biblical model of evangelism is go. Go and be my witness. Go and make disciples. Go find people who need to hear the gospel and tell them about Jesus Christ. So we must return to a more um, organic model, a more, well, let's not use the word organic. Let's just call it what it is. We need to return to a more biblical model of evangelism, amen? A model that says go. Go and make disciples. Go and tell others about Jesus Christ. Go where you will find people that need Jesus and tell them about the gospel. So find folks, pray for them, develop relationships with them, pray for them, look for opportunities to have conversations about faith and invite them to know Jesus Christ. So go. It's our responsibility. Can you say amen? Because the second word is no. No. All right, I got four minutes to cover the rest of this, all right? Second word is no, K-N-O-W, not N-O, K-N-O-W. And that is we must know how to talk to them about Jesus Christ. We must know how to engage them in spiritual conversations. We must know how to lead somebody uh, to the Lord. I've already touched on this um, briefly. But let me say, first of all, and, and when I talked about this, I remember preaching a whole sermon about this in the book of Acts. Let me, let me remind you that the most powerful testimony that you have telling others about Jesus Christ is your personal testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Tell them, they may say, hey, I'm struggling with my marriage, I'm having trouble with my marriage, and you say, hey, let me tell you what's made a difference in my marriage, and his name is Jesus Christ. Uh, you find 
common themes to talk about and you tell them about your relationship. So your most powerful testimony when you're telling somebody about Jesus is your own personal testimony. But beyond that, you need to know how to lead a person to Jesus Christ. I mentioned this when we talked about the word that the that the uh, New Testament church, they knew how to lead a person to Jesus Christ from the Word. And so you need to know how to lead a person to Jesus using the Word of God. So what I want to do briefly, I don't have much time, but I'm going to walk you through how to lead a person to Jesus Christ with the Word of God. Now there's many models. You maybe know a way to do that. And if you're comfortable with that already, stick with it. But I want you to open up the fly leaf of your Bible, if you would, or take a piece of paper out because maybe you don't know how to do this. Uh, but you write this in your Bible so that when the opportunity comes, you can refer to these scriptures and you can lead somebody to Jesus Christ. This is, the ro- this is about as old as it gets, even older than me. Amen. <laughs> Uh, this is the Romans road, how to lead a person to Jesus Christ using scriptures from uh, Romans. First thing you do is you show them the Bible teaches us that we are all sinners. How many, how many of those, all of us were sinners, amen? All of us. So that's uh, Romans chapter 3, beginning verse number 9. What then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So you begin by showing them that we are all sinners. Romans, next one, is on that same uh, theme. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You know this passage. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then because we are sinners, the next point is this. The wages of our sin, we're all sinners, and the wages of our sin is death. Romans chapter 6 Verse number 23, which says, for the wages of sin is death. Because we have all offended, because we have all fallen short of the glory of God, the reality is is that all that we deserve, what we have earned, is death because of our sin. So we all deserve death. But then thank God for the next point, the rest of that verse says, but, oh, you moved on too fast. Jerry, can you go back? Is it possible to go back? The next part of that verse, Romans 623, next part of that verse, but, how many are thankful for that? (laughs) But the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God has made a way. God doesn't want us to die. God, you know, one of the oppositions you always get is people say, well, why would God send anybody to hell? How many knows God doesn't want to send anybody to hell? And he does. It's our sin that sends us to hell. God has made a way that we don't have to go to hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So, uh, In fact, now you can go on to the next verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Because God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus died for your sins. So that you don't have to go uh, to hell. And then the next point, how do, we, how do we receive God's free gift of eternal life? Then you take them to Romans chapter 10, 
verses 9 through 10. We receive God's grace by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and confessing him as our Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So what do you have to do to receive God's free gift of eternal life? You, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you and confess with your mouth that he is your Lord. God has made it so easy for us to receive eternal life. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen? And then you pray with them. You lead them in that confession of faith. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. I accept the free gift of salvation that you've offered to me. Come into my heart. I confess him as my Lord. And then you might want to end with Romans chapter 10, verse number 13, where you explain to them we are saved. Now listen, we're not saved by works, by anything that we do. We are saved entirely by grace through faith because God's word says for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that super simple? But you need to know that. You need to know how to lead someone to Jesus Christ because the opportunities, if we're looking for them and we're saying, God, you're sending me out. And so I want to be obedient to you. I want to be a witness for you. So show me opportunities. Show me the opportunities that I have to be a witness for you. If, we'll, if we're seeking those opportunities, how many knows God's going to give us opportunities? Amen. He's going to open up opportunities for us to tell others about Jesus Christ. I may have shared this story with you uh, before. I'm sorry if it's old story. Uh, but I remember once when I was working at Winn-Dixie. Anybody remember Winn-Dixie stores? <laughs> I worked at Winn-Dixie when I was in high school. And I remember uh, working at Winn-Dixie. And we were stocking shelves one night. We were actually blocking, you know, pulling stuff forward. And uh, I don't know why I was in a bad mood or had a bad day or whatever. But I remember I was working with one of my coworkers and we were blocking the things and I was just, we were just doing the thing, you know. And um, so I had been telling him about church and witnessing to him a little bit. And uh, so we were having this conversation about faith. And uh, so I was asking, I was almost like on autopilot, you know, well, here's what the Bible says and boom, 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 boom. And well, what does the Bible say about, well, this is what I believe, this is what the Bible says, boom, boom, boom. And I'm, I'm on it, I mean, I'm, my heart's not really in it, I'm just, whatever, you know. And I remember, <laughs> I remember he says, well, he finally asked me, he says, so what, what do I do then to be saved? And I thought, I stopped for a moment, I said, what? Said, what? Well, what do I do to be saved? How do I, and it dawned on me, that, I mean, it was, listen, it wasn't because of me, because like I said, my heart wasn't in it. It wasn't like I was some evangelist and well, what you need to do, brother, is boom, boom, boom. That's, it wasn't that. <laughs> I believe, listen, here's what I believe. I believe with anybody, not just him. It's the power of the gospel. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God 
unto salvation. I wonder this morning, do you believe that? It is the power of the... So he heard the gospel. He wasn't, it wasn't because I was persuading him. This is the power of the gospel. And so he says, so what do I do? What do I... And so I said, are you asking, you want to you be saved right now? Yeah, I want to. And so we went back in the stock room, and I prayed with him, and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. But what I'm saying to you is, is that we need to be prepared for those opportunities. Amen? How many believes God can do it just like that? Amen? <laughs> that when a person is hungry and they need the good news of Jesus Christ, that you've got You've got the good news. God, God's not mad at you. God's not angry with you. God doesn't hate you. Listen, how many knows, I know this is a whole other sermon. I've got to wrap this up right now. But the whole world believes that what Christians believe about them, or not the whole world, but vast segments of our culture and our world believe that what Christians believe about them is that God hates them and is angry at them. Now, whose fault is that? Well, like I said, that's a whole other message for a whole other day. <laughs> but how many knows God doesn't hate them? It doesn't matter how, it, Natalie was singing it this morning, it doesn't matter how dirty, it doesn't matter what they've done, who they are, it doesn't matter what color they are, it doesn't matter where they came from, how much money they've got, God doesn't hate, God doesn't hate them. God loves them. And what he's trying to do is to get us to go and tell them that. It's, it's horrible, it's regrettable that the only thing that a lot of people are hearing in the world today is that God hates you, God's angry with you, God doesn't like you, God's mad at you. Listen, there's sheep without a shepherd. They're lost, and they're struggling in sin, right? But God loves them. He loves them so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for them. You know what? The same Jesus that died on the cross for you so that you could be sitting here this morning is the same Jesus that died for them where they're at. You're not better than them. We're all sinners, in need of a Savior. I'm thankful that somebody finally, has finally somehow got through my head that I, I needed to confess my sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I was born to Christians, Christian parents. I grew up in the church. How many knows you could be born to Christian parents, grow up in the church, do good, give lots of money, and still go straight to hell if you're not trusting on Jesus Christ? The world needs to know that Jesus loves them. And God has sent us, he's told us, go. Go and tell them that I love them. All right, well, I'm going to have to finish this next week. I feel like this is a good place to wrap up anyway. Mike, would you come to the piano? Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. 
You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.